0: Welcome to Hey YA! From great new books to favorite classic reads, news stories to the latest and on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a Book Riot podcast hosted by Erica Asifetti and me, Tears of Price. We are recording on July fourteenth, twenty
1: twenty-two. Hello, Erica. Hey, hey, how are you? I am great. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. You know, I'm suffering the heat, but I think I'll make it. I think I will. You know, hopefully. Fingers crossed. I believe in you. <laughs> I believe Thank in Thank you know. so much. I believe oh, in gosh. AC and Freon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my for God. For real. It's terrible for the environment, but yes. I need it.
0: Yeah. Whew. It's it's summer. Yay, yeah. summer. <laughs> well, I guess so. Does it get hot in, like, where are you in middle? Like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where I was in Iowa, or where I am in Iowa. It was, like, 90s all week, one, like, I don't know, like, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And then we had, like, a slight reprieve where it was a bit rainy, and it was, like, 80s. And that was a nice change of pace. Oh. Uh, But now we're inching right back up to, like, the Uh 90-degree weather. And, yeah, it's pretty intense. We are kind of in a little sort of mini drought here. So we definitely need rain. A mini drought. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I we are like on severe water restrictions in our town. Are you serious? Yeah, I know, it
1: stinks. (laughs) I did not know that. When I think of stuff like that, I think of the West. I think of like Arizona, yeah, Nevada, maybe. I mean, I've been, I've neither been to the Midwest nor the far West. I'm like, you know, East Coast mostly, but like.
0: I'm not sure how widespread it is here but part of the issue is that like we have, I live in a really small town and Mm -hmm. our town has grown a lot in like the last, especially in like the last 10 to 15 years Right, and so our water system is out of date and it needs to be updated but like updating a municipality's water system is like millions of dollars (laughs) and this is a town of 10,000 people so um, I think that they have like plans in the works and like grants from the state government to like get things up to date within like the yeah. next five years. But until then, like literally, I got a text message from City Hall the other day, which was like, please like follow these water restrictions because right now, we're really worried like if there's a fire, there won't be yeah. enough water in the system
1: to wow. um, like put out a fire. and that's like scary, so yeah, that's very scary. <laughs> yeah, because you're you're trusting everyone to follow the rules. <laughs> like, when does that go well? Like, you know,
0: oh yeah, like we're not allowed to water lawns in the middle of the day or power wash our houses. and I see like, our neighbor power washing his house, and I'm like, thanks, wow. dude. Wow. Hope your house doesn't burn down. No. I mean, but- I, I, I say that like I'm joking. I truly, I truly hope that it doesn't. Like, but, you know.
1: Yeah. If something happens, we're going <laughs> to not threatening at all tears. And no, I'm just kidding. Yes. <sighs> no, but seriously, like, that's, I mean, we know how people are. So it's like, you can't trust people to do the right thing. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah. But it's sad. I hope. I hope that. I hope they really are able to fix that within the. I did not know you were going through that. Wow. <laughs> I hope they're. <laughs> I hope they're able to fix that within the next few years because that is really scary. Mm-mm.
0: Yeah, it's it is, and the the irony is that like we live next to a really big lake, so everybody's like, "That is, you've I got thought. water," and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah. but like." There's, there's water systems in place. Like,
1: yeah. it's it's
0: not that simple. I can't just go down to the lake and drag up a bucket of water to, like, take a shower. So Yeah, you get yeah. to do
1: the morning washing. Warshing. I feel like you have to put an R in it when you say it. Like, when you, if you have to go get a bucket of water, it becomes a wash. Yeah. <laughs> I we are close from. to Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <I> <laughs> these parts, round these parts. You know. Oh, oh my goodness. So, anywho. Wow. Anywho, Yes. But we're going to talk
0: about YA books and not water shortages this week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I feel like because it's July, we're really light on YA news from, like, the last couple of weeks. But I did yeah. find something that, like, was not super well advertised, but that is Walmart is launching a book club. Mm-hmm. Um, and their first inaugural book club pick is I Kiss Shara Wheeler by Casey McQuiston, which is exciting. Yay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was not well publicized at all, honestly. It was like, I was surprised at how I heard about it. And I was like, why haven't I heard more about this? Everyone's getting a book club these days.
0: Well, and what was weird is I only found one article that was not behind a paywall, which we'll link to in the show notes. exactly. Yeah, and like, I was at Walmart, like within the last week or so, because again, I live in a small town, like Mm -hmm. we have a grocery store and we have a Walmart. So I shop at Walmart. And... I always, like, because the books are always, like, right next to, like, the pet stuff. So I think I've said this before. Oh, that's perfect. I always check out the books on my way to, like, buy my kitty litter. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I checked out the books and I was, like, really surprised to see that um, I Kishara Wheeler was on the shelf, but, like, happy because that's good. Usually Walmart's book picks tend to be, like, heavily, like, the only the most popular of the popular. So um, it was really great to see that book there. I know Casey McQuiston's really popular but like this is their ya debut and Mm. it's queer and so sometimes Mm -hmm. i think like those books don't tend to get like a lot of the attention that they deserve especially on a national level so it's great Mm -hmm. to see that in walmart because again i live in a small town we don't have a bookstore the only place to buy books in
1: town is walmart so that sort of
0: level of visibility is awesome i think
1: that is wow yeah i didn't realize that that makes sense yeah Yeah, so... That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, so um, I believe that... I think the event was yesterday where they had, like, a live talk... It's called Talk Shop... I can't talk. Talk talk Shop Live. That's a tongue twister for me for some reason. It is. Um, Talk Shop Live. Yes, so um, McQuiston streamed yesterday at 7 p.m. Eastern time. I guess the time is irrelevant because it already passed, but um that's cool and I think it's now that we know that this is how Walmart book club operates and that they have interesting you know authors and stuff on we can kind of look out for that see who they have up next totally hopefully next time it won't it'll be like better advertised
0: Yeah. Well, and I would like to see more in-store advertising because when I went and I saw and like maybe this was just my particular Walmart not putting out a sign. But like I know when I go to Target, they have like stickers on the books and they have shelf talkers that are like, this is the Target pick. And so, you know, Um, and I didn't see any of that at
1: Walmart. So it would be really great to see that going forward in all the stores. That's true. That's a good point. But So that's exciting, that's fun, always fun to see another book club uh, popping up. So before we get into today's topic, which is Disability Pride Month, let's hear from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read, and I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my today's episode is brought to you by tour books so if you are a fan of epic fantasy if you're a fan of scott lynch and or joe abercrombie but you want something a little different you want a hero who's like a bit of a mess then the silver blood promise by james logan is for you in its academy dropout slash disgraced noble heir Lacan gordova's life is in shambles All he's got going for him is one, he is a card sharp of considerable skill and two, a lot of maybe potentially a little too much wine. So they're, you know, those are the positives. So when the bizarre murder of his father robs him of even the off chance of redemption, Lacan decides to make amends another way. He's going to unravel the mystery behind the killing, even if it takes him to the underbelly of Sophrona, a city of danger, secrets, and merchant princes. Finding the truth is one thing. Finding the truth and staying alive is like a whole other thing. So make sure to check out The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan on sale May 7th. And thanks again to Tor Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so Disability Pride Month. I know, Tirza, you had kind of a few things to say about Disability Pride Month and like what it stands for and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, first of
0: all, thank you for coming up with this amazing show idea. You seem to have all the good show ideas.
1: Whatever <laughs> awesome. tears stop stopgassing You no, also you do too. too.
0: Okay,
1: oh Well, the we thing both thing.
0: have good ideas, but yes. I, I especially like that you thought of this. Um, so if you are unaware, Disability Pride Month is celebrated every July and it's really to commemorate I mean, it started to commemorate the passing of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And I just need to like pause a moment and just emphasize the fact that the Americans with Disabilities Act passed in 1990.
1: That's what I was going to say. That makes no, that's, that's ridiculous. That's only 32 years ago. So that
0: means that there are like hundreds of thousands of people in the United States who grew up without Mm-mm. the Americans with Disabilities Act. Like you and I grew up like, you know, in the nineties. So yeah. it was like a thing that we just kind of take for granted, I think, but it's really not that old. So the American with dis Americans with Disabilities Act is essentially a civil rights law that prevents discrimination on the federal level um, based on disability. It also, um, it requires employers to provide reasonable accommodation to people with disabilities, and it also requires accessibility in public places. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that's I mean, that's why this law is important. And July is partly, you know, to celebrate that, but also to celebrate, you know, just the wide range of disability experience and promote I think, accessibility and just knowledge. Um, so I've been seeing a lot of really great content going around the internet about Disability Pride Month. And I discovered a new to me um, disability rights activist and humanitarian named Eddie Nudopu. And um, I found his, his Instagram um, because uh, somebody um, who is also a podcaster here at BookRed? Patricia, she shared on her Instagram stories this reel where he is talking about accessibility. And what I'm gonna paraphrase what he says, but we can link to that video in the show notes. But basically, he says, like, what makes a place accessible isn't necessarily like a ramp. And so, Eddie's a wheelchair user. Um, he says that a ramp just provides an entry. But to him, what makes a place accessible is how everybody, regardless of ability, regardless of identity, are able to come together and feel validated and have dignity. Um, and I thought, like, what uh. a really great way to think about accessibility and, mm-hmm. you know, just in our own spaces and in our own communities I also want to note that Eddie has a book coming out. Um, I'm not sure exactly when, but it's a forthcoming memoir called um, "Sipping Dom Perignon Through a Straw," which is an excellent title.
1: That is excellent.
0: <laughs> that immediately put it on my radar. Yeah. But I I really liked thinking about his – what he has to say about accessibility in terms of, like, YA books and, like, mm-hmm. how can YA be more accessible? And I think that there's a lot of different ways that we can approach this conversation in terms of, like, you know, are YA authors, you know, who are disabled able to access the same um, yeah. opportunities – are we seeing stories with disabled characters at the same level? Like, no, obviously not. No. You know, we need a lot more disability visibility within YA. And disability can include mental health. And there have been like just a ton of YA books about the importance of mental health, I think, within like the last five years. You know, that's awesome. That is a form of disability. I'm so grateful for the influx of those books because I do think that they save lives. But we also need more books that represent like physical disabilities as well. So yeah. just a little something to think about as we move forward and talk about this topic.
1: And yeah, I think, too, just to add to that, I think as we see a lot of programs where, you know, there are like free books being handed out to kids, especially in the summer. Um, Dolly Parton has a program, um, New York public library had a program or has one still ongoing that's like they're giving 500,000 books away something like that I might be wrong on the number so sorry if I'm misquoting but I do think too we should we should really be thinking about how to get books into the hands or the ears or whatever of disabled kids like because that that could be part of I'm sure that's a big part of the lack of disabled characters in YA fiction and, you know, nonfiction, um, is that there are fewer disabled people to write about their experiences, you know, in an authentic mm-hmm. way. So I feel like we need to think about how to make books more accessible for everyone as well. Totally. And like, I know from the author
0: perspective, there are a lot of like practical and financial challenges to, you know, disabled writers getting that book deal. From like a practical perspective, MFA programs have not always been mm. super like inclusive and accessible. Mm. Um, and obviously, an MFA is only one path to you know becoming a better writer and, and getting to the point where you can publish. But like it, it is a popular one, so I know that's a huge barrier. But also, um, just speaking like as an author, and also having spoken with other authors who um, are disabled, the financial barriers are sometimes not, like, what people expect. Like, when you are an author, you get paid in lump sums from your publisher, Mm -hmm. which is awesome because, you know, who doesn't like to get paid thousands of dollars for their work? And obviously it's going to (laughs) vary by author and by situation and by publisher. But, like, you don't always know. Like, sometimes you know exactly how much money you're going to get paid in advance because it's spelled out in your contract. But sometimes you don't know when it comes to, like, royalties and such. And... Like, I've literally had checks come where it's like, oh, here's a few few bucks, like, right. or not a few bucks, but like, yeah, I can buy dinner and I can buy groceries for the next two months. Awesome. Right. But I've also had like an advance where it's like, oh, that's my down payment on a house. You know, that's how oh. I've been able to buy a house. So like, it, it varies. And when you yeah. have authors who are disabled and like living on disability, that becomes really complicated because they yeah. are very strict rules about how much money you can make if you are living on disability. And obviously, you know, money is great. And everybody wants to, you would think that like, oh, if you make money, then you shouldn't have to live on disability. But a lot of times, people's um, health insurance is tied to that. And yeah. you might be able to live off of book money, um if you're very frugal, but I would argue that everybody needs health insurance, but people who are disabled especially need health insurance, and, and they can't risk losing that. So I, I bring this up only to say that I know personally of two authors who have told mm. me that they have put off either agent searching or publisher mm. searching because they worry that if they sell a book, they will lose their health insurance. And that and is, that is so reprehensible.
1: Real. It's so it real. Is. And it's, it's disgusting, yeah. It's And terrible. that goes to the bureaucracy – uh, that's tapping into the lack of universal health care in the U.S. one. And then the bureaucracy and, quite frankly, BS surrounding, you know, like government assistance as far as dis- disability goes. Because it is very – um and I have people I know, too, where it's like if they get a job, like those those income requirements are so weird. They're weird because they're not realistic, as you're saying. Like if you no. get a lump sum of money – it's not a regular and it's not a regular check that's coming in every two weeks or whatever, then it doesn't matter. Like you could get a lot of money at one point, but if you spread that over a few months, it's not going to be the same as getting paid regularly and getting paid that that check that comes from government assistance. But the government assistance doesn't take that into account. Exactly. and i I will <laughs> add to you that from personal experience
0: again. And, and
1: this is all anecdotal, but
0: um mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's important to note that, like before I was married, um and I have health insurance through my spouse, who has like a regular nine to five right. grown-up job, plus because <laughs> I'm not sure what I'd do without that. but yeah, before that, i i I lived about a year and a half as a full-time freelancer, a YA author, freelancer, without you know, a job to give me benefits. And I was, you know, partnered, but legally single. Yeah. I was able to pay my bills and I I was able to get health insurance, but I was either like I got to a point where I was like, either I need to go back and get like a full time job with benefits or I need to get married and get health insurance because health insurance was killing me. And I had health insurance and I could afford it, but it was such bad health insurance and Mm -hmm. it was so expensive. And like I'm a healthy, you know, able bodied adult who is making decent money so like yeah there are a lot of systemic issues that might prevent disabled authors from getting published and I hate that and uh, I think we just need to continue talking about the realities to hopefully try and come up with a solution I'm not sure sure. I mean I have some thoughts about what you know, some things that publishing could do better. That's not for this podcast because we're getting a little <laughs> off track. But well, I just kind of wanted to share like a little bit of like the realities of like why being like, well, publishing should just publish more books by disabled authors. Like it's yeah. not always It's complicated. easy. Like they're definitely like, yes, that's absolutely true. But it's mm-hmm. also a very complicated situation at times. So
1: no, I think it's good to spend a little lo- like at least a little bit of time because it's like a lot of people may not know about it, you know what I mean? And it's it's important to consider. And I think you explained it very well. Yeah. You have first you know, first hand experience being an author and knowing other authors and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. So um, just want to shout out one other link (laughs) that if you want to know more about this situation and how complicated it is, um, Margaret Kingsbury, who's um, a fantastic contributing editor at Book Riot, wrote an awesome article. It's a long form, in-depth article called The State of Disability Representation in Children's Books. Um, It is linked in the show notes. It's on Book Riot and it's really a very good deep dive into um, what what is the state of disability representation right now what are the challenges how have you know how far have we come but how far do we still need to go it it is kind of written with a slant towards like younger like kids books but I think it has some really good extrapolations for YA as well Mm -hmm. that's a good one yes so on that note should we start talking about some of our picks
1: Yes. Would you like to go first?
0: I think you should go first because I think you have like a really good nonfiction title to kind of kick us off. Oh, yes.
1: Yes. So my first one is Disability Visibility by Alice Wong. It's adapted for young readers. And this is, as I said, it's adapted for young readers. So it actually, there's a 2020 version that is um, not specifically YA, um, but basically the same thing. And it has the um, same title and stuff. And Alice Wong is a disabled activist who I feel like her main goal, paraphrasing basically, is not to is to highlight disabled people from all walks of life different ethnicities, religions, gender identities, et cetera, et cetera, different kinds of disabilities, mental and physical. Um, and it's not, it's very specifically meant to not be from a, from an able-bodied lens. It's not meant to be like, oh my God, they're so inspirational because they're going through these struggles and look at them, how they're persevering. No, it's simply about their experiences and that, We've talked before about how with marginalized identities, it's good to have a variety of kinds of stories. Like, it's good to have the struggle stories. It's good to have the uh, joyful stories. It's good to have the just, like, day-in-the-life stories, like, everything. So, again, as with, you know, marginalized identities, we don't just want to hear about the struggle to see, like, you know, how this group is struggling, but rather, like, what other things... They have the side. So this collection, this is a collection of like essays and different pieces by different disabled authors. And it's about different things. It's about their lives. It's about um, the politics of disability. It's also there's an essay by Haben Gurma, who is um, the daughter of Eritrean refugees. And she is the first deaf blind person to graduate from Harvard Law School. But her essay in this collection is about how her and her guide dog have, like, such a strong relationship. So, you know, that's a good example. Yeah, a little doggy. And I have a a comment on that real quick about law school. I have a friend who is interested in going to law school. And for the LSAT, which is, like, the uh, standardized test to get into law school, the LSAT had these things called logic games, I believe. And it was, like, very um, vision-based. So he told me how... I forgot the group exactly, but basically the LSAT and um, the organization behind that, they were like being sued or something because the, the test wasn't fair for people who can't see or who are vision impaired. And so it just makes me think of how many, this is, you know, another aside. It just makes me think of like how long the LSAT has been a requirement for getting into law school and how many people like were not able to actualize that desire to go to law school because they had that, you know, visual impairment or whatever. And they're thinking about doing away with that portion of the test, which makes me think that it was never really necessary. But, you know, I digress on that. So there are different, a whole bunch of different stories. There's a guy who is a deaf ASL speaker. He speaks about his experience being incarcerated. There's Latif McLeod. He's a black poet and he does podcasts and stuff. And he talks about like assistive technology and what that can do and how that can further the conversation. Like I said, there are different people, there are different religions and it's, it's very, it's personal. And instead of being like, again, like just spoke like meant to be inspirational, it's talking about people's lives and it talks about the politics and stuff. So I think it's a really good, I think it's a really good nonfiction collection for getting a screen like a just a taste of people's lives. So I would recommend it. You can read the one for young adults that's adapted for young adults. Or you can read the adult version, whichever you like. Um, Again, that is Disability Visibility by Alice Wong.
0: Awesome.
1: Uh, That sounds really great.
0: I'm so glad that you talked about that. Um, so my first book um, is The Degenerates by J. Albert Mann. And before I dive into it, I just want to give a heads up that in the description of this book, there is some outdated language about disability experience that we now know not to use anymore. Um, I'm going to probably just, you know, try to gloss over it, but just FYI. So, The Degenerates, it is set in, I believe it's 1927 or 1928, and it is about four young women um, who are all teenagers and they are all um, meet when they find themselves um, incarcerated at the Massachusetts School for the Feeble-Minded. So, and I say incarcerated because, like, it, it truly is like a life sentence if you get sent there. Um, it starts off with London, who is not disabled, but she finds herself pregnant as a teenager. And when she has nowhere to go. And then the the boy who impregnated her, tells on her basically and the police come because she's an orphan um and she's living in a yeah she's living in a foster home (laughs) she's living in in a pretty decent ish foster home but you know he he calls he tells the police because you know he doesn't want to take responsibility they're young and the police see that she's an orphan and she's pregnant and they they figure she's a liability for society and so they take her to this um school and just like imagine me using the word school with like very heavy quotation Um, marks because um, it is essentially a prison for basically anybody that um, society at that time did not want to have to deal with so that was mostly this the disabled and the marginalized but also um, you know poor people and orphans and yeah so it it is a really terrible place so London is sent to this um, place and she meets three other girls there so um one is maxine who i don't believe is is disabled if i'm remembering correctly but she has a younger sister who has down syndrome And then the other is Alice, who has a club foot. And she was sent to the school because her family was like, well, we're we're worried that you don't have much of a future and we can't really, you know, support you. So these four girls form a really, really fast bond. And Rose and Maxine... Um, and Alice have been there for a really long time, so much so that they just think like, you know, they, they take it for granted that like once they sort of age out of like the teenage girls school part, they'll go on to the grown women section where like they will live their lives there. Now, London wow. has just yeah, I know this is all real history, too, by the way. So yeah. it's horrifying. London yeah. is coming from the outside and she is used to her freedom and she does not like the fact that she is going to be here, but she kind of just thinks that like, Oh, they're going to keep me here until my baby's born, give my baby up for adoption. And then I'm going to be able to go free. But then she finds out that, um, when her baby's born, her baby will be taken away from her, and her baby will be raised in this place, and then she will never be able to leave. And then eventually her baby will never be able to leave because her baby oh, wow. Yeah, her baby will be considered a degenerate born of uh, from mm. an unwed teenage mother, and therefore can't be released into the wider world because, you know, we don't want degenerates in our society, is basically the sort of feeling. Mm. So London's like, uh-uh, we gotta get out of here. But the problem is that she realizes that she can probably escape on her own as long as she doesn't let her pregnancy get too far advanced. But now she's created this bond with these um, four or these three other girls, and she can't leave them behind. So, yeah, it's this really hard hitting YA book, historical novel. I feel like it's really underappreciated, but it's so good. And it's so important because Uh this is a part of history that we don't often see. Um, And it has like a nice wide range of disability experience of, you know, girls with, you know, different cultural backgrounds. There is some queer rap in this book, too. But what I really like about it is that I know that this sounds like a really sad and depressing and tragic book. There are moments of joy. And I think oftentimes, yeah. like, I'm, I'm just going to equate this with, like, the LGBTQ experience because that is my, like, personal lived experience. I know that, like, growing mm-hmm. up, a lot of times when we talk about, like, LGBTQ history, the sort of message that we get is that, like, oh, it was, life was really hard in history for folks who are LGBTQ and therefore, like, all of their stories were somewhat tragic. And yeah. it took reading, like, historical fiction that included queer people to realize that, like, no, queer people have been surviving and they have also created happiness and, and moments of joy and lives that they, you know, are unconventional, but that they, they love. And I feel like The Degenerates, to a certain extent, also kind of does this as well, like, where mm. they're showing that, like, yeah, there was some really, really, really bad stuff in history, but, like, not everybody – just kind of conform to that tragedy. Like there were people who were pushing against these boundaries. So that's why I recommend The Degenerates by J. Albert Mann. It's excellent.
1: Oh, that is, I keep hearing about that. And each time I'm like, I have to read that. But of course, my TBR is expensive. <laughs> I know. That sounds really good. It
0: came out in March 2020, which like, you know, yeah. there was some stuff going down in March 2020. Oh, so, a couple
2: things. So maybe yeah, p- it, like, things. it kind of just
0: like flew under people's radar, but like totally yeah. recommend it.
1: <laughs> it sounds really good. And it, it's wild to think like all of that stuff could... Potentially have happened just as it happened in the book. Like it doesn't even sound like it's big, that much of a stretch how oh, yeah. people treated women who didn't conform and disabled people and other people who they just felt like throwing away. Oh. Whew. All right. Yes, that is definitely one that I need to read sooner rather than later. And I will get to my next book after we hear from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Steve Aoki's Hero Quest at your local bookstore or online at heroquest.com. And catch Steve live on the Heavenly Hell Tour. Hero Quest is the graphic novel that is the story of a genetically augmented metahuman named Hero who travels into the multiverse 400 years into the future to save Earth from a disaster it cannot avoid. It has everything from mutants, to robots, to zombies, to aliens, witches, and more. It's a quest for ten rings of tremendous power from ten different worlds that will be needed to save our world from certain disaster. It's an epic journey that will require the hero named Hiro to be cursed to save the lives of billions on Earth. It's a story of heroism, wonder, betrayal, and finally, a revelation. This is the hero's journey. This is Hiro's quest. So the story was imagined by the mind of Steve Aoki and written by New York Times bestselling author Jim Kruger and Steve Aoki. So make sure to check it out. And this episode comes thanks again to Steve Aoki's Quest at your local bookstore or online at HeroQuest.com and catch Steve live on the Heavenly Hell Tour.
2: This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie, And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge of your seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show.
1: Okay, so my next book is One for All by Lily Laneff. And this is a Three Musketeers retelling. It's gender-bent, it's queer, um, but yes, a Three Musketeers retelling. I have not read Three Musketeers. I have read another book by Alexander Dumas, but not Three Musketeers, but I'm sure it's excellent because I loved Count of Monte Cristo. So there's that. Um so I don't have anything to compare this to, but I mean I I'm I mean I pretty much like it. I feel like I feel like it probably was a good representation, I'm assuming. So it's about Tanya, who is a teenager in 7th century Fran- France. And she has um, these dizzy spells that have been... Um, she started experiencing around... I don't know, when she's like 10 or 11 or something like that. And then no one really knows what is going on with her. But they basically like have the run of her life. Like they influence like even basic things like standing up. Like if she's sitting down and stands up, suddenly her vision starts to get black and gray on the sides and she might even possibly faint. So she has a lot of like stability issues, walking around and stuff like that. She gets dizzy. And so, She, so her mom is really frustrated with Tanya's perspectives. And this frustration trickles over into her and Tanya's dynamics, which I thought was pretty real. Because like on the one hand, her mom wants her to be secure, even after her and her husband, which is Tanya's father, have passed away. Um, They know it's not guaranteed that family will take care of her. So they want her to have her own security. And for the time in her mother's mind, and this is again, very real, that security would come through marriage. And here's, it's interesting how you were talking earlier about the insurance, your ins- like issues with insurance and how it's like you wanted to either get a new job or get married. It reminded me of this because I'm like, I'm like, how far have we come in society? It's like you still, sometimes marriage is still like a security, you know, security for people. And it's like, you know, you can kind of get pushed into that. Um, because we don't have things like universal healthcare and stuff like that. So, you know, we have some similarities to 7th century France, basically. So her father was a, is a retired musketeer, right? And he, like, has, he's kind of like, He's more, like, I guess, fun in a way compared to her mother. Her mother's very practical, though. So it's also, like, her mom might seem a little mean at first, but it's understandable. Like, so her father, he teaches her how to fence, how to sword fight. He talks about the days of the musketeers and the brotherhood and the camaraderie and the, like, you know, the one for all, all for one thing, which is, like, you know, protecting people, protecting your family, your friends, your country, the honor that comes with that. So Tanya is like all about that. She's like, forget these people who make fun of me, um, who ostracize me, these friends who have cast me aside, these prospective suitors who, you know, look down their nose at me. Like I want to be a musketeer. So despite knowing her mother wants her, her mother kind of wants her to lie about her disability and like snag a man. But Tanya knows that once it's found out, her that she has an illness um a chronic illness that you know she may be discarded or treated poorly and she doesn't want that kind of life so one day she finds out that her father has been murdered this is not much of a spoiler it's like in the book blurb and happens fairly early on but her father is murdered they don't know who did it they try to say it's it was robbers like you know, highway robbers or whatever. But there was an attempted robbery at their house like weeks before. And so something is very fishy about the whole situation. And then she comes to find out that her father in his will, basically, he wanted her to go to this school. It's basically called like the school, my French is a little rusty. But it's like the it's called the school of of marriage basically it's like Academy de Merrier and she feels like super betrayed because she she knows that she spoke to her father about how she doesn't want to be married off. But here he is requesting slash demanding with his dying wish that she go to this school and he's already like secured a spot for her. It's supposed to be like very respectable and the woman who runs it is like very well known and respectable and all those good things. So she kinda comes to grips with it. She's like, you know what? Maybe I can get some intel and come into contact with my father's um, musketeer brothers. And I can kind of talk to them and tell them that his death was suspicious and maybe they can investigate. So she comes to terms with it and she gets sent off to the school. And her mom goes to her family's house and stuff like that. And then she finds out that the school is actually... Uh, its secret purpose is to train female musketeers. Ha ha ha. So, you know, at that point, it really gets popping. So they like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, you know, get trained to like sword fight and spy. And there's like codes and stuff. And they got like daggers under their dresses. It's a real good time. You know, it's like, that, you know, that's what I want in my historical fiction. I want a dagger under a skirt. You know what I mean? So she meets people there she befriends people and it's it's satisfying because it was so sad in the beginning like people were really dogging her out tears it was so (laughs) sad I'm just like oh my god I need this girl to get a break please even like she had this little date with the suitor this you know perspective suitor and he was so he was so crass anyway so she you know she there's some found family here and it's 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 like, finally, this is getting some friends. So then there's this guy who she likes. And he's a little questionable. I'm not going to say why, but you'll see. So it's like, okay, Tanya, I get it. But also, like, you know, let's think about some things here. Let's not jeopardize everything that we have for this man. So, yes, there is found family. There are some queer characters. I think some things were presented pretty realistically given, like, like I said, I I understood where Tanya's mother was coming from. Um, It was unfortunate, but I'm like, you know, 17th century France, like, what, like, what options do you have as a young girl? I also like that, even though I knew from the book blurb that her father was going to die, I like that he wasn't, it wasn't like he died like within the first, on the first page. Like there was a buildup to his death and it made you care about him more. Um, and it was really sad when he um, was killed because you saw how much he meant to Tanya. So yes, I think this is a fun romp um, that's also real about ableism and internalized, well, I, I should say internalized ableism and how people treat, people who are disabled. Um, It's also, like I said, fun. 7th century France, Three Musketeers. I should also say that the author has PTOS, which is what Tanya has in the book. So, you know, that's good to note. So again, it's One for All by Lily Lanuff.
0: Awesome. Um, I'm going to talk about a book that unfortunately I have not read because um, I I tried to get it from my library and it didn't come in time and then it didn't come in time for me to read it. But yeah, it's yeah, the struggle is real. But it is <laughs> yeah, it looks really good. And I'm excited to read it now that I do have it. Um, it is Breathe and Count Back from 10 by Natalia Sylvester. And this book is about Veronica, who is a Peruvian American teen. She has hip dysplasia. Um, the author also has hip dysplasia and she has been chronicling like her, her journey and some of her, her health stuff on her Instagram. Um, she like will post pictures and, and just kind of talk a little bit more about her experience and how it relates to her writing this book, which I think is really cool. So um, in the book, Veronica has had a lot of surgeries um, to manage her hip dysplasia. And she loves to swim, which is really great because, you know, that's a really good form of rehab that's um, helps build strength, but is not hard on her joints and um, she loves swimming so much that she also would like to audition to become a a mermaid in this um, sort of like water attraction um, called Mermaid Cove. So like I don't know if you've ever been to like one of those like is sometimes they're at like run fairs or they're just I don't know like little attractions uh-huh. where they're like these big tanks and people swim around um with like mermaid tails and they're they're like mermaids yeah. um I've yeah. seen them at run fairs before they're really fun.
1: I haven't seen them in person, but they look cute on TV yeah they they look cool. <laughs> I'm always
0: impressed by like I think like I I'm a decent swimmer but like I'm a decent swimmer but like moving my legs and I like they ha- like have yeah. the, the mermaid tails I think it takes like an incredible amount of core strength so like oh, yeah. for me I'm like wow that's like physically impressive um mm-hmm. but also like yeah that I don't know it's really cool cuz you have like the performance yeah. of it but then also the physical strength of it um so yeah. Veronica wants to do that she wants to audition to be a, a mermaid but Um, Her parents are really conservative and they are like, no, not at all. And so that's kind of like the sticking point. And um, so she apparently decides to seize control of her life, but then her parents let her know about a pretty big secret That they have been keeping from her and it has to do with like her own body and her own autonomy. So, I mean, I just reading that, like I was very intrigued to find out what exactly it is and how to go from there. Um, So that is, yeah, breathe and count back from 10. It sounds really, really great. And it looks like it's getting into some... I mean, I, I can't say for certain because I've not read the book, but I am always intrigued by books that have disability experience and don't um, sort of immediately default to the assumption that, like, oh, if you're disabled, you can't be, like, physically active or athletic in any way. Yeah. Um, so that yeah. book seems to be kind of counteracting that, but also um, hitting on a theme, which I – have heard from, you know, people that I know who have a disability, which is that like sometimes, especially if the disability presents itself when they're kids, um, their parents don't like tell them about it. And that I, mm. I I mean, I'm not a parent, so I can't imagine how difficult it must be to kind of have to figure out how to talk to your kid about that, um, especially if a parent is sort of struggling with the idea of a diagnosis. But I do know people who who have a disability and like their parents kept it from them for a really long time. And I think that that's really crummy and it's really hard. So I'm just curious to see how all this is going to come out and play in this book. But again,
1: that's Breathe and Count Back from 10. Sounds really interesting. So the next one I have is Lake Lore by Anna Marie McLemore. And this is about two non-binary trans Mexican-American teens. And it's like very, very much um, like, you know, magic realism. And it takes place near this lake where this lake has like these kind of mythological stories, stories that people kinda don't believe anymore and it's has this landscape that's rumored to be like half air and half water. Bastian and Alore are the only ones who've actually been there and been to the under to the underworld. Not underworld. That kind of sounds like hell. Not hell. <laughs> like I should say <laughs> like under the the water, like in that other world that's there, beneath the lake. So it's really interesting because it's like It's not quite, so how should I say? It kind of was a refuge at one point, but now it's filled with these living papier-mâché-like things that are from, I believe, Mexican mythology, and they represent Bastian's anxieties. And so as this world starts to bubble over into, I guess I should say, the real world, they believe that well, Bastion and Lore have to kind of come together and figure things out, let's say. So there's a big exploration of... So, like, a lot of things are symbolic, I should say. Like I said, Bastion's anxieties are represented by these living paper mache things, and it's um, very much representative, I think, of mental health and stuff like that. Bastion has ADHD, Lore has dyslexia, and... They have to come together to like confront their anxieties and confront their internalized, again, internalized ableism and not just ableism, but internalized anxieties and depression and stuff like that, because those things are starting to seep into their, um, the rest of their lives, basically. And apart from just like beautiful writing and vivid imagery and these, you know, interesting, um cool insertions of Mexican mythology. I like that one, we have the representation of um, you know, non-cis characters and the disability rep. And we also have there are friends and family that they have that are supportive. And they try to help them with their you know, trauma and any shame and stuff that they have. So Yes, it's, it's a, it's like a, it's a magical journey, I will say. And I think it's kind of like a dream, I feel. That's how I, that's how I would kind of describe it. Like Mm -hmm. a magical dream where you're like, um, you know, confronting things. So there are different aspects to it. Um, But yeah, I like that they're, like I said, they have support and it's just like and it's real because even when you have supportive friends and family with certain things, again, marginalized identity, whatever it may be for you, um, you still have you still may have internalized shame and doubt that comes from the rest of society, like outside of your family. So that's, you know, highlighted here and confronted in a real way, I think. So I like it. Pick it up. Lake Lore by Anna Marie McLemore.
0: Awesome.
1: I'm going to do a quick shout-out to three more books
0: because we are running out of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but earlier um, this year in the podcast, we did a book club episode about Hannah Alkoff's um, Queen of the Tiles. Um, if you go back and read Hannah Alcoff's debut novel, The Weight of Our Sky, um, that is a really great book, um, set in the late 60s about a teenager living in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, um, who has OCD. So it is about Mel, um, Melati, I believe, um, is her full name, but Mel, she, um, you know, it doesn't kind of use like the clinical language when you're first getting to know her. She just believes that she has a djinn inside of her and it like threatens her with these horrible, horrible images of like what could happen um, to her mom and the people she loves unless she does like this ritual counting and tapping and that sort of like satisfies, satisfies the djinn. Um, So she is kind of living with this, and it's not great, but almost somewhat manageable until one night, um, racial tensions in the city lead to a riot. And um, Mel is separated from her mom, and she has to get back to her. Um, And she also has to rely on the help of a boy that she doesn't know very well, but also she's dealing with like this huge resurgence of her her OCD. And this gin is kind of telling her like, Oh, you know, this terrible thing is happening, your mom's gonna die. And all of the methods that she uses to sort of manage her OCD. Really, it's a struggle. So I think that this is a really great book. I mean, it's about a teenager with OCD, but it's also about a lot more than that i learned a lot about like the history of malaysia in this book and a lot mm. of like about the cultural makeup of ho- malaysia so um that is the weight of our sky by hana Alkoff, and because we were talking a little bit about like visibility and it, um I think it's really great when we see examples of disability on book covers because that's like a pretty uh-huh. big visual signifier of, yeah. and I think that, like, you know, I again, I have felt very happy to see book covers that are like openly queer um, yeah. and not in like coded ways. So I can only imagine that seeing, you know, examples of, of disability on book covers can also feel similarly like inclusive and, and make you kind of feel happy. Um So to yeah, that point, we're sure. going to shout out two upcoming releases that are coming out in early 2023 that um, depict girls using wheelchairs on the cover. Because um, I... I sat here and I tried to think if I could, like, come up with any YA books that depicted a wheelchair on the cover and that none came to mind I can think of a couple middle grade novels but like nothing YA so Where You See Yourself by Claire Forrest is a YA debut comes out in April and it's a beautiful cover of this girl sitting in her bedroom um, looking through a mirror and um, in the mirror she's like envisioning herself on a college campus so this book is about Effie who um, is excited to go to college and is a like excited about all of the things that come with like senior year and and figuring out what's next but her college journey is slightly complicated by the fact that like she has to consider that wherever she ends up needs to be accessible because she uses a wheelchair yeah. and unfortunately college campuses especially historic college campuses they may be ADA compliant but they are not ADA friendly and yeah. so it's about how she wants to go to New York City And she discovers that her crush also wants to go to the same school. And so she feels like, oh, this is kind of like a sign.
2: But things
0: don't always go as she expects. So that is why I debut by Claire Forrest, where you see yourself. Claire is also a wheelchair user. um, So that's really cool. The other book that I want to shout out real quick with a wheelchair on the cover is Every Time You Go Away by Abigail Johnson. Um, This is Abigail's, I believe, like, fourth or fifth YA book. Um, Abigail is also a wheelchair user. And this book is, it looks like sort of like a a nice, like satisfyingly angsty romance. It's about (laughs) Rebecca and Ethan who like grow up together. They have like a really deep bond, but then uh, they're separated for three years. And then when they come back together, they realize that they're not like quite the same people that they used to be. Rebecca has since survived a car accident that has killed her father, and she is learning how to, you know, navigate her life as a wheelchair user ever since that. And Ethan is also just dealing with a lot of family stuff. So uh, that looks really good. The cover is really pretty. It's like this pretty blue. yeah, Yeah, it has like these Flowers. paper yeah like they're like paper cut flowers and then the guy is kind of sitting and he's looking up at the girl and um she is using a wheelchair so that is really cool um and it's got a little kitty on the top i love it so i
1: don't even see the kitty i see the yeah i I like that
0: style (laughs) of the paper cuts so it's really cute
1: yeah i just wanted to shout
0: out those two books i know that they don't come out until next spring Um, every time you go away by abigail johnson comes out on march 7th Um, so that is a little bit of a wait but again
1: yay for um, wheelchair visibility on book covers for sure yes that's a good one. I'm going to shout out Mooncakes by Suzanne Walker, illustrated by Wendy Shuru. Love quick, that book. Cause it's a cute little, yes, cute little like science fiction and fantasy graphic novel. Main character wears a hearing aid and it has a queer representation too. So that's like a, like a, like a light sweet, you know. Oh, little, little graphic novel for you real quick. I love that. Which is already out. Yes. Yeah, super cute. Like, pick that up for, like, when you just want, like, something sweet and cute. You know what I mean? So, yes. yes. <sighs> Yay.
0: Well, that is awesome. And I guess that kind of brings us to the end of our episode. There are obviously more YA books out there that, um, include like the disability experience, but we just wanted to kind of highlight some of these newer ones, some of these under the Mm -hmm. radar ones that, you know, you might have missed. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, when we talk about inclusion and diversity in YA books, um, the most obvious things that we think about are like race and sexuality and gender but yeah yeah, this is just a reminder that um disability should be a part of that conversation as well Mm -hmm. for sure Yeah, and I believe that is all we have for you. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Um, You can please leave us feedback about the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really lets us know how we're doing and it helps others find us. Um, We always like to see reviews. Um, You can also email us at heyya at bookrat.com if you have any feedback or suggestions. And don't forget to visit bookrat.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and all things bookish. Thanks, again to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible and thanks as always to our awesome sound editor jen Zink. you can follow uh, me on twitter and instagram i hang out at tears of price and how about you erica i'm on twitter
1: at erica underscore easy underscore
0: awesome well thanks so much for tuning in and we will catch you again in a couple of weeks all right happy reading happy reading